that noise. Every time I hear that music, I know I'm in for a treat because it's time for an, another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Usually when you're hearing my voice, we're here to talk about a strategy post in the Rec Poker forums because Steve Fredland, the man himself, hosts our Chats podcast where we interview the uh, la- the great names of the poker cognoscenti. Um, today, he can't make it. He's playing in a tournament. Lucky guy. So I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games. And you can find out about me by going to rec.poker slash crew. And then you can learn about all the other members of the wrecking crew, like the one and only freaking Darrow Carney, who's here today to talk about uh, his new book. So Darrow, without further ado, welcome to the show. And thanks for being here, man. Thanks very much, Jim. Delighted to be here and really appreciate you gentlemen getting up early for once. Normally when I come <laughs> here, you it's it's me staying up late for you guys. Um I'm not sure which 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 part of the day my mind works better. Um <laughs> if I'm a little bit less lucid than normal, you'll have to give me a break. Um, it's <laughs> also quite early for me. Yeah. Well, this is we're not as poker players, we're not usually skewing oh. towards the earlier uh, hours in the day, but um I think this is gonna work out just great. And I should of course thank see Steve is so good at this. I should thank our sponsors, Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um so we've got a couple fun things we'll talk about at the end of the show. Um Colin Anderson's birthday is coming up. Uh, Keith Monkey System Brand is doing a study group, and we're actually taking a little hiatus when we all go down to WSOP. Um, we'll get into some of that information after uh, after we finish our interview with Dara. Uh, but Dara, maybe that's a good uh, a good segue into what we were talking about. Um, I know you've got some exciting news, but before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about the WSOP is right around the corner. Um, international travelers have kind of a unique circumstance this year. Uh, now I-, I live in Canada; I'm coming down anyway. Um, because Canada and Mexico are one of the countries that you can be in for a while before you transfer into the States. But can you just talk a little bit about what that kind of experience has been like for you and how you're planning around this year's WSOP? Yeah, it's been very interesting. Uh, there's been huge um, anticipation for the WSOP this year among Europeans, not just uh, guys like me who normally go, but a lot of recreational players were kind of, this was the year they were going to go. Because um, obviously everybody's been sort of you know stuck inside for the last 18 months there's actually been no live poker here during that time either. The last live event we played was 18 months ago here in Dublin, um, a Unibet Open. <clears throat> so people were really looking forward to this. And I was getting asked so many questions about it that I actually wrote an entire blog um, just on my sort of, if this is your first time going to Vegas, this is what you should you should, you should look out for and be aware of. Um, and that was earlier this summer where we we assumed that there would be no issue with traveling Um you know the the case numbers were dropping, etc. But the travel restrictions are still in place. Um, so I kind of went from initially thinking, "Yeah, I'm definitely going, and I'm really looking forward to it." To then having to decide, do I want to spend two weeks in Mexico? Um, Canada wasn't even an option for us because Canada has restrictions on us traveling into Canada as well. Ah. So really, it was just Mexico or Costa Rica or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. Um, a few of my friends have done that. Like they're already in Mexico, uh, spending their two weeks in quarantine before they're allowed to go into the US. But I didn't really feel that I could do that. So I kind of went from, yes, I'm definitely going to, yes, I'm definitely not going. But then last week they announced that the travel restrictions are going to be lifted um, from the EU to the US in early November. So it was kind of back on again. And myself and David were looking at flights and we were trying to work out what day we could go over to play the main, thinking, well, if we we really want to get there on the 5th, we'd be playing the 7th. That would be the last day one. Mm. Um, and you don't want to just come straight off the plane and play your day one. 
Um, but unfortunately, they haven't actually announced what exact date uh, they're lifting the restrictions yet. So, you know, you obviously can't book anything until you know the date. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. be flying the day before you're allowed. Um, I doubt they're going to make a special exception for you just because you want to play poker. So <laughs> we're we're kind of waiting and seeing to when they actually when actually announce uh, what the actual date will be. I think even if I miss, even if I have to miss the main mm-hmm. event, because obviously if if unless it's very early in November, I will. I might still go to play some of the events towards the end of the series anyway. Um, like I'm really itching to get back to Vegas. Uh, it's been two years now, obviously more than two years, obviously because it was it, it was summer the last time. Um, I think there's a huge anticipation for this WSOP and. People kind of want to get there by hook or by crook. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate with the travel restrictions, but, you know, I mean, what can you do? Um, pandemic is the pandemic. Yeah, it's been frustrating up here as well. Um, I've got some family in the States. My wife has some family in the States. And uh, uh, they keep changing when they're going to open the border. Well, not changing. They just keep – it's kind of a month by month up here as well where – the land border is still closed. You can fly down if you do the right testing and that kind of stuff, but it's just so much more convenient to be able to drive down um, and visit. We haven't been able to do that. And they keep just putting it off. Oh, next month we'll have a a date. Next month we'll have a date. Next month we'll have a date. And it does, you know, it makes it hard to plan around, but I mean, it's the reality of the pandemic, right? I mean, I don't want to be in charge of anything right now because no matter what decision make decision you make, half the world hates you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you thought you thought like adjudicating tournament uh, results was difficult. Um, no, there's this is like there's no winning at all for anybody right now. Um, so yeah, that's that's tricky, and I hope they re- resolve that in a way that allows you to make some plans because uh, I think and you said it, man. You don't want to be walking off the plane and then jumping into day one. So. Um, you know, mindset, as we know, is so important to this kind of stuff. Um, Speaking of international travelers, so this is something uh, we've talked about on the show here a little bit, because we have a lot of Canadian and international listeners. Um, When you go down there to play, how do you handle converting funds to US and registering from Ireland? Do you register in advance to tournaments? Do you use their online stuff? Do you just carry a bunch of cash and go to the cage? How, How do you handle that logistically? Uh, it's 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 changed down the years. I mean, in the early days, it was a matter of sort of getting money into Vegas um, mm-hmm. physically. Uh, there's a 10k limit. So once you go above that, you you have to declare it. But for whatever reason, poker players try to stay under the on under the 10k. Uh, one year, I'd, I I just said, okay, I'm going to wire all the money over that I need to the cage. That turned into an absolute nightmare because they couldn't really? find the wire. Um, oh. And I, I spent about a week looking for it. They eventually found it, um, but there was a lot of hassle. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I might be in Vegas and I might have no money to play that route. That's, that's going to really suck. Um, oh, man. So I thought, okay, well, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the last time I went, it was the first, well, this is the first time that I was aware of the, where they had, uh, you know, you could buy in at the at the ATM type machines. Yes. Um, yeah. And I could use my NetTeller card, which is where I keep all my online money. So that was incredibly convenient. Um, and that's basically what I did. That's what I would anticipate doing again this time. Um, I don't want to be physically carrying over lots of money. What yeah. we used to do like five or six years ago was you would go with you know your 10 grand or whatever, and then you'd wait until somebody you knew got a big score. And then <laughs> you would get whatever you needed off them for the rest of the series, and you'd transfer them on stars or wherever. Right. Um, and there was one year we all collectively had a terrible year, so nobody had any money. <laughs> um, it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not the most foolproof of plans, but right. um, 
It's always been a, an, an enormous hassle. I, I have friends who have gone to the trouble of opening bank accounts in Vegas and leaving money there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually left a pile of money on WSAP.com uh, the last time, which is which is now real pain because I can't cash it out from here. And they're taking five <laughs> bucks a week or something. Oh, no. the account. So, so that's quite tilting as well. Oh, yeah. Um, no kidding. Uh. Yeah. Well, it, it is a it's a logistical nightmare, and there's always like trade offs, right? The trade is really a question of like what pain do you want to embrace? Because it's, mm-hmm. there are no good answers for that kind of stuff. Um, I'm curious about that when you were talking about using the kiosks, because that's something we've we've talked about here before. It, even in that case, you still have to go and sort of like get registered for the series, yeah. and then you can go and use the kiosks to to register to individual tournaments. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. You you at the start of the series, you go over and you do the all the ID verification checks, and then they yes. they, they they clear you. <clears throat> they give you a card to use for those, um, or they make your players reward card viable for those machines. It's a very it's a very um, bizarre system. I remember for one of the big big field uh, events last time, like you don't get your actual ticket. You know, you can't just get, they, they print you out a ticket, but it doesn't say, a, and a, it doesn't say a table and a seat number. You just have to go to the sort of the late reg desk effectively. Mm. And there was one tournament where the late reg queue was like three and a half hours or something ridiculous. Right. So it was quite tilting that like you've gone to the trouble of registering and using the machine and all it got you was the, was the back of the queue. Um, so, yeah, there, for the for the really big runner field events, it's not uh, great to be honest. <laughs> and and so what what can we do to sort of make that easier? Because I think a, a lot of our listeners might be going down for the first time this year. And mm-hmm. is there like so? I, it sounds like there's a lot of ways to sort of kind of get registered, but you're still going to be at the back of the line. What, what would you recommend uh, people do when, when they get down? Yeah, what, what I would say is for the really big runner event, field events, I don't know what they're called this year, but, you know, things like the Millionaire Maker and Colossus, yeah. et cetera, register ahead of ahead of time. You know, register a couple of days ahead. You can register for any event at any time. So do it a few days. Don't wait till the day because on the day, the the, the, the lines are just going to be insane. Mm. Um, what I used to do was literally I would go, you know, if I was there late one night, say 2 a.m., then I would go up and I would reg for all the events that I knew I was going to play, like the main event and particularly the big runner field events. Because when you register at the at the cage, you do actually get like mm-hmm. a, a seat assignment. So you don't have to go through the late reg stuff. So that's the main thing I would do. And, and in fact, that's what I would do as well. Like even though I'm talking about using the card and that's what I would do for most events, for for, for the events where the lines are likely to be very, very big, I'm going. I'm definitely going to go to the cage and register in advance. So I will bring some cash to cover that stuff. And the cage is open 24 hours, right? So it's just yeah. a question of finding it, when it is, the yeah. line is short and then just using the using the line when the line is short and then just Yeah, uh, it's a complete no-brainer. Like you 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 go there at 10 a.m. on a on a day where there's <laughs> something big, you're gonna be in that line for two hours. Yeah. That's two hours of your life gone. Like, and it's 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 it's, it's not a pleasant two hours gradually edging <laughs> up the corridor. <laughs> and, and uh but if but if you're there at 2 a.m., you know, you're playing late one night or something, and you go and there will be literally no line and mm. Uh, it's just a complete no-brainer. You're saving you're saving yourself that 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 trauma of uh, <laughs> of spending two hours, but uh, surrounded by very very annoyed and tilted people as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and you got to protect your mindset too, right? Like you got to you don't want to. And then going from that line into your day one, right? Like that that, you're not doing yourselves any favors. 
by uh, getting yourself all amped up and, and angry like everybody else in that line. Yeah, I remember actually that reminds me of the longest line I was ever in, um, that three and a half hour line. And I got in and I had, by the time I got in, it was like 12 big lines. Right, right. And I bust after 20 minutes. Oh my and, God. <laughs> and then I, I had to re, uh, it was re-entry. So I, so I, so I went into the line again and uh, J- my friend Jack Sinclair, who had, who, who had railed this entire thing, tweeted that I'd spent longer in the line than I had in the tournament, which was, yeah. which was true by a, yeah. by a factor of at least 10. Yeah, that's true. And I guess, so a couple trade-offs is that if you register in advance, they put your chips in play at the start of the mm-hmm. tournament, right? So you cannot show up a couple levels. Late. I mean, you can, but you'll be blinding down the, the whole time. Um, their system. Yeah. Their system is quite weird. Um, like, the, you know, here in Europe, we're used to like, if you register late, whenever you show up, that's when your stack goes out, mm-hmm, but they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They put it, but, but then if you don't show up at all, they take your stack off the table and they give you your money back. So there's a certain point beyond which you might just decide, okay, too much of my stack is gone. I'm just going to sit this one out. But then hold on a second. But then some of those chips are in play. Correct. Uh, through the blinds, right? Correct. So they, oh, hold on. So they just they just let those chips stay in play and then take the remainder Correct. of your stack off? Correct. Wow. So, uh, okay. Interesting. Now, now, there is one of those on every table, so I guess it kind of balances out. It's not like it introduces an extra look. Um, it's it's always the last seat, seat 10 or whatever, that they put that side. That's the other thing. If you if you late register, you're always coming into seat 10, which is the annoying seat, one side right. of the dealer. Right. Um, so that's another downside to, to late registration. Hmm. Cool. Um, and I guess my other question on that would be, uh, what's the etiquette on if you've got like a friend down there with you, uh, having them stand in line for you while you're playing or something like that, and then just come and swapping out? Is that like, do people frown on that? Or how does that work? I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask on this because I'm not American. Uh, this is very much an American thing. Um, it depends on who's around you, to be honest. If 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 it's like non-Americans, they generally won't mind. Uh, but Americans seem to have a different queue, which which actually makes more sense. Like if you think about it, it's not really cool to like have one person and then suddenly ten people jumping. Oh line. no, I meant I meant more one like for one. one. I think for one for one, one swap out. Yeah, yeah, nobody would have a problem with that. I think okay. what what we 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 have a more informal approach to queues let's say in uh, europe where you might have one person and then just 10 people jump in and that does it that certainly annoys people so i, I definitely don't recommend that yes um, but yeah one for one should be should be fine well it's um, just one of the ways that ha- you know having a having a network is is helpful dara was talking earlier about you know sharing the wealth to make it easier to, to re-enter tournaments if someone has a big score having someone to run food to your table you know having someone to hold a place in line just for you of course um those are great ways that having some friends down there having a having a community can just make everything easier um and of course i'll just say right now if you're down in vegas in october and november uh email steve at rec.poker you can get a chance to crash at the rec poker house and we're going to do some fun events over there and uh, that's all we do is community in the world of poker so uh all right we've teased it enough i'm so excited about this dara uh one of the things that recreational players are probably it's one of these low-hanging fruit areas where tournament players can really up their win rate or at least their roi by being more icm conscious and so Dara, can you talk a little bit about how, even though you might not win, at, or, or t- talk a little bit about how you might use ICM to increase your ROI, even though you might be kind of, it, it might feel like you're taking more risks than you would be otherwise. 
Yeah, yeah. ICM is, is is one of those things like it's been around for a long time, twenty years now. And when I came into poker, it was already a thing. And um, I sort of started in sit and goes, online sit and goes, where ICM was very, very important. And Colin Moshman wrote a seminal book uh, on sit and goes, which was mostly about ICM. It has to be said. Um, the idea behind ICM is that, like, when you, if, say you're playing a cash game, if if you win a hundred dollar pot. That's a hundred dollars you've won. Um, so if if you if if you have a decision where say you have to call to win to win, let's say you have to call fifty dollars to win one hundred and fifty dollars, then you're gonna it's 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 always correct to call when you're getting the correct odds when you're going to win one time in three in in, in in that specific example. Tournaments are more complicated because there isn't a linear relationship between your stack and how much you get. And the way you can really think about this is that like. If you imagine a hundred runner tournament where everybody pays, let's say a thousand, a thousand dollars, hundred runners, and they all start with a thousand in chips. So at the start, every chip is worth one dollar. Um, they pay a thousand dollars for a thousand chips. Let's say the first prize is twenty thousand. Um, now, whoever wins the tournament at the end is going to end up with all the chips in the tournament. So they're going to end up with 100,000 chips, but they're only getting $20,000. So now that each chip is really only worth 20 cents each. Um, and like, where, where where's the missing money gone? Well, the money's gone to players who busted out and ended up with zero chips, but were in the money. So th- that that's a very simple example, but basically strategically that affects uh, the way you should play in tournaments. Um, the, the 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 easiest takeaway is that the upside is never as much as the downside. If winning a thousand chips never adds the same amount to your actual equity in the tournament as losing a thousand chips does. So you have to do all these sort of mental calc or try to do these mental calculations and adjustments in game of like, well, okay, the pot odds are two to one, but actually because of the tournament, I probably need to win this not one time in three, but maybe one time in two and a half. And do I have the right equity? And or knowing is it one time in two and a half or is it one time in two, what, uh, just, just how extreme the ICM is. It makes a massive difference to your equity because if you play tournaments like cash games and you don't make these adjustments, you will, you're, you're literally just torching money. You're, you're, you, you, you're, bur- you're burning money. Now, the first book I wrote um, on satellites, um, satellite poker strategy, that satellites are obviously the most extreme example of ICM because, you know, say 10, 10 seat satellite to the WSOP main event, you have 10 prizes of equal value. So it's very, very extreme, um, the adjustments you have to make. Um, and then we wrote a book on PKOs because PKOs are so popular online now that we thought, well, okay, there's there's a lot of those terms out there, but nobody really knows the strategy. So let's let's put out a book on the strategy. Then a lot of people came to us and said, okay, well, you've done those two types of tournaments. What about normal tournaments? Why don't you do something <laughs> for them? And we we had to think we had to think about it. And obviously, it's a massive area. Like teach someone to play tournaments. Um, so we tried to focus on what we thought the biggest, most important thing was. And clearly, it's ICM because you know people when people are studying tournaments. I mean, obviously, you have to know how to play poker, and you have to you know understand all the concepts: uh, blind defense, c betting, um, all, all 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 of this stuff, but. In terms of the actual difference it makes to your bottom line, a lot of that stuff makes very little difference. Like let's say you 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 put in thousands and thousands of hours of study and become very very good with a hundred big blinds. But the only time you have a hundred big blinds is at the start of the tournament. 
And let's say you, you become so good that you add two big blinds per hundred to your win rate, uh, which is which would be quite significant improvement. Well, okay, that, that's add, added two percent to your ROI, you know, which is nice. But um, on the other hand, if you get something wrong at the later at the end of the tournament in the end game or on the bubble, you could be making a massive mistake and. I think we use this example in the book. Um, a few years ago, my chip race co-host, uh, David Lappin, made the final table of the bigger 55 on a Sunday. And he had a spot where he called off, I think with ace 10, and he felt it was probably a mistake. Um, and when he told me the hand afterwards, I thought, yeah, I think ace 10 is probably wrong there. I think you probably need ace jack. But neither of us were sure because, you know, it's, it's a lot of his guesswork. So we So we did run the spot. And yes, turned out our intuition was correct. Ace Jack was a call and Ace 10 was a fold. But the interesting thing was how big the mistake was. The mistake was like 40 buy-ins. Wow. Uh, so like two, it was over two grand. So you know, even though it was one of those cusp, even though it's just one so pip, literally, yeah. literally one pip. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so getting those spots, right. is going to make a massive difference. Like if one mistake, right. At the end, is going to cost you 40, Mm. tournament buy-ins like if you can minimize those mistakes that you make over your career that will make a huge difference to your expectation and how much money you make long term um so that's why we focus on icm the other the other reason why we thought the time was right to do an icm book now was people have understood icm uh sort of pre-flop um for, for for a long time uh lee nelson et al wrote a really good book about 13 years ago called Kill Everyone, in which they really broke down ICM very, very well pre-flop. But everybody was kind of guessing what, how it affected the post-flop strategy um, because there were lots of solvers out there for pre-flop spots. You know, if you that, that spot that I talked about with David, we, we ran it in Holden Resources Calculator. There's another tool as well, ICMizer, which is the same. So you can actually get sort of exact data, um, exact solutions on, on these spots using those solvers. But it wasn't possible for post-flop until recently. Uh, the post-flop solvers only became ICM aware uh, recently. So we were all kind of guessing what the what, what what the adjustments were post-flop, but we didn't we couldn't really test it with solvers. Mm-hmm. Um, now we can. So, like in 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 the course of producing this book, we wrote we uh, we ran thousands and thousands of post-flop simulations. Not to put them all into the book, I, I hasten to add. Don't, don't worry if you're going you know, to buy the book and you're just going to see thousands and thousands of charts. It was just to try and distill the concepts. Um, there were certain key concepts we uh, we identified, like, for example, when ICM is extreme, bet sizing post-flop tends to go down. When ICM is extreme and one player covers the other one, the player who covers play, can play much more aggressively um, in certain ways, and the player who is covered has to play much more passively. Um, and the solvers sort of confirmed all of this, all of these um, <clears throat> these key takeaways. So what we tried to focus on what were the key concepts rather than just, oh, here's another simulation, here's another simulation, here's another simulation. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to, to sort of sum up your overall point, like you, you're exactly right. And if you want to make a difference to your ROI, to how you do in tournaments. ICM is by far the most important thing you can study. Um, like people send me spots all the time. And <clears throat> if they're, if they're, particularly if they're very good players, they're just very, very close spots. Like mm. I, I, I can give an opinion. It might be different from another player's opinion. And 
I'll run the spot and the solver will say something like call 80% of the time and the river full 20%, which basically means it doesn't matter what you do. Right. It literally doesn't matter. It makes no difference to your win rate long-term. It's yep. break even. Yep. Um, and uh, people people focus on these spots. There's a, there's a couple of reasons why they focus on them. First of all, they're big spots, obviously. you know, Somebody moves all in on the river and now you have to decide whether to call or fold. That feels like a very big spot, but actually those spots, it doesn't make any difference. Almost, It makes almost no difference what you do in the long run. Uh, because they're so close either way, hmm. but but they feel they feel very important. They feel much more important than sort of like should I have called with Ace Jack there or or could I have called with Ace Ten, um, which are actually the ones that make the by far the biggest difference to your to, to your win rate. Yeah, and that's something that you know, we actually just did our monthly seminar last night, where the uh, the theme was the final table, and we actually had a hand come up just like that, where a player had Ace Jack, and there was a two X open. And then someone shoved like 14 big blinds and this player was sitting with ace jack offsuit with 15 big blinds or something like that. And <laughs> they, well, they, yeah, right. And they were, uh, and they tanked and they can, they were, weren't sure what to do. And they ended up making the call. And we were talking about it afterwards about how ace jack is kind of like one of those cusp hands. And um, the only question was sort of like, is calling like how how uh it's always better to get the to be the one to put the chips in first i think yeah. in these kind of spots and so yeah. you talk a little bit about how you have to think about calling like uh, i know you've said like the shorter yeah. stacks have to be more passive and tighter but i think recreational players like us we get in these spots a lot where like we see some action in front of us but we've got a pretty good hand um yeah. how do we kind of think about whether we should be calling or not I mean, it, it's incredibly difficult, and like even when you've been doing it as long as I as I have, still every night there there are, there are spots where I'm playing online where I'm like, I'm really not sure whether I'm supposed to call or fold here. One of my favorite chapters in the new book is is a chapter on how big a mistake is a mistake, mm-hmm. and the thing we 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 try to get across in that um, in that is that like shoving even if it's a mistake tends not to be a massive mistake right because everybody might fold and and you know you said uh f- getting getting the chips in first fold equity that's the, fold equity is, is 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 the best type of equity deep in a tournament and if you shove you've given yourself maximum fold equity so when you look at solver output and you see that like maybe ace ace nine is the worst hand you're supposed to shove but if you actually shove ace six you you're you're not losing very much at all um it doesn't make much of a difference um, but then on, but call, on, on but the call, call, calling mistakes, calling mistakes can be absolutely massive. And again, this going back to the example I gave of David's mistake, he he made a call with Ace Ten, uh, which lost him over two grand in, in in actual equity. So you have to really put a lot of study into calls. And the best way to do it, to be honest, is to just run lots and lots of spots with the with the preflop simulators, and you very quickly get an idea of. Uh, for for the sort of uh, the types of hands that, that are calls and the types of hands that are just never calls and in extreme situations that that, that becomes even more important like in very very extreme ICM situations like let's say it's a final table bubble and you're second in chips and the chip leader shoves um you know it's it's you, that's the most extreme ICM situation you'll ever be in and you know when you run a few sims you'll quickly see that like Ace King suited, for example, is just never a call. You need a big pair, basically. They're the only hands you can call with. Um, and you, you, if you run lots of these spots, you see, like, you know, you might see, like, oh well, Jax is always a call, uh, but 
it has to be jacks, queens, kings, or aces. In satellites, you know, there are spots where even aces might be a fold. Right. Um, uh, that's why on the cover of, of that book, we do have somebody actually folding aces just to make that point. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's really just sort of learning by experience. Now, in terms of the way you have to think overall, again, we, we go into this in, in detail in the book, um, uh, what I call gorilla mats. It's a, it's a way you can try and work out at the table, well, what's the upside of winning compared to the downside mm. of losing? Mm-hmm. So you sort of calculate your equity right now in the tournament and say, okay, this is roughly what my stack is worth. Um, now, you can do that exactly with an ICM calculator, but obviously you're, if you're, when you're playing at, at a live event, you don't have access to a thing. So, so we give a fairly simple, well, I think it's simple. But, <laughs> relatively uh, simple. <laughs> relatively simple. As simple as it can be, let's say. Way yeah. of calculating, okay, I have this many chips. This is the prize pool. This is how much my stack is worth. Now let's double that. So if I get all in against the chip leader and I win, let's see how much I'm going to win. If I if I get all in and lose, well, now I'm just getting whatever the next payout is. So you know, you might you might do that calculation and say, okay, well, if I double up, that makes me five grand. But if I if I if I lose. I'm losing ten grand. Mm-hmm. So now you now you very quickly get an idea of okay, well I need to be a two to one favorite mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. losing losing costs me twice as much as winning gains. So I need to be a sixty six percent favorite, and then and then now you're looking down at Ace Jack and going, "There's no way Ace Jack is sixty six percent right, right." Um, so that's sort of the that that's the best way you can do it in game. And there there have been spots in my career where I've had to make big decisions live, and you know don't have access to the, <laughs> to the to the tools to run the spot. So I have done these mental calculations um, and they do get you surprisingly close to what the actual ICM is. Well, we love that here at Rec Boker having, you know, just, I, I just like the idea of the gorilla math, right? Where it's just something I can do at the table that's yeah. going to give me a, a rough idea. And I know nerds like me, we let perfect be the enemy of good. And sometimes we like don't want to proceed until we have like certain information. But poker is not a game of certain information. Poker is a game of getting it pretty close in the time that you have, and then you know letting letting <laughs> letting the world do the rest. Unfortunately, it would be great if we. I, I know there's the. Um, I participate in this email tournament, this email uh, free buy-in turn by turn based tournament that we start every fall. And it, it basically plays out over the course of like nine months, uh, taking turns every day to make your play. And, you know, that would be a good way to, that would be a good format to actually like have everything open on your computer, running every spot in real time and, and playing, but we don't have that luxury uh, when we're playing actual cards. Yeah. Um, so one thing you talked about like training and drilling on, on ranges, uh, pre-flop calling and shoving stuff. So just, I use Range Trainer Pro for that. And I think it's awesome. KL Cleeton put that program together and it's got a lot of different ways you can adjust the position and the stack size and sort of the, the condition of the hand. Um, do you, cause it's a hard thing to practice other than just like running spots. So do you, do you recommend any other tools or, or training or anything like that for how to get better at that analysis? <laughs> I've yeah I've I've tried a lot of uh, preflop tools and like you um, I've settled on Range Trainer Pro. Mm. Um, I think it's by far the best, um, it, and I spend hours uh, every week now training myself in those spots. Um, they have a huge number of spots. There, uh, there were a lot of spots where my ranges were definitely a bit wonky. <laughs> Mostly the multi-way spots, I have to say. Like I, mm. I, I obviously know my raise first in spots. I know my blind defense, et cetera, et cetera, spots. I know my how I act against a single raise. I, I pretty much have, have all the spots down. But like, you know, 
under the gun opens and mid position flats and I'm in the cutoff, I was very, very unsure of what the sort of ranges there are supposed to be. So it's a tremendous tool. Uh, they put a huge amount of work into it. Mm-hmm. And I know from talking to Kale that they're currently working on um, ICM charts as well, where you ah. can see how the ranges change due to ICM. So I think that's going to be a game changer when it comes because ICM changes ranges so much. And that's something we kind of get across in the book as well. It's mm-hmm. not just the fact that, you know, a lot of people think, okay, well, ICM is a thing. So now I have to be tighter and they just like lop off the worst hands. It really doesn't work like that. Like mm-hmm. there are some spots where you're actually adding hands while taking others away. There are certain types of hands which go up in value, um, typically suited aces and kings, and there are other hands which just go way down in value. Um, and, you know, lower, low, low to mid pocket pairs and suited connectors. So if you look at two different ranges, like 40 big blinds on the button, no ICM versus 40 big blinds on the button with the chip leader in the, in, in the big blind, the two ranges are just incredibly different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to know that. And it's funny, like, as as tools come on the on this on the market, sometimes people worry, oh, this is going to kill a poker and everybody's going to play perfect. I remember when Snapshot came out, everybody was like, oh my God, they're all going to be shoving perfect ranges. <laughs> but all that happens is they start making different types of mistakes because people overapply what they have. Like let's say they've got their 40 big blind ranges down with no ICM perfect. If they stick to those in, in, in mm. on the final table, they're going to get murdered in equity terms. Uh so I think having access to actual proper ICM ranges that will that doesn't make a huge difference to people too um, w- once they've added that. But yeah, Range Trainer Pro is a is a, is a brilliant tool. And the the two main tools I use for my own training these days are Range Trainer Pro for pre flop and DTO for post flop. Hmm. And similar similar to Range Trainer Pro, DTO have just added ICM as well, which you know cha- ICM changes everything and. It's great to see that people are thinking about ICM again because we went through a period where sort of people just forgot about that and just, just sort of played, you know, standard ranges, etc. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, I, I won't repeat my earlier rant about how much money you can lose or burn by not understanding <laughs> ICM, but but like it really makes a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yes, so those are the two tools that I recommend. Well, obligatory plug here. If you go to rec.poker slash resources, uh, you can get a link to both Range Trainer Pro and DTO. Um, and you can get a little discount there by using the code rec poker. So I, I do I do uh, agree with Dara. Those are great programs and a great way for recreational players like us to improve. Um, so I see Eric and Jim and Paul are in the chat here. Like uh, every week, our premium members are welcome to join us in the in the booth here. And uh, if you guys have any questions for Dara, uh, feel free to enter them. I've got a couple more here before we let you go, Dara. We talked a bit about um, sort of like the cost of of calling poorly and how that's pretty pretty big. Like it's pretty big cost associated with calling incorrectly. And we talked about sort of the cost of fold of shoving incorrectly as well and how that's maybe not as big a mistake because you have all that extra fold equity but can we talk a little bit about what's the cost of folding incorrectly Mm. so there's like obviously there's an opportunity cost um but like what is the between raising incorrectly calling incorrectly and folding incorrectly like what's the best of those to what's the best mistake to make or is it is that too simple a way to think about it no, that's a good. That, that, that's a really good way to think of it. Um, the, the way I would classify it is ra- raising incorrectly is the least mistake um, mm-hmm. because it could it could it could actually turn out to be good if if everybody overfolds, um, and 
and and even if they don't like if you shove on the button the the blinds are not going to find a hand often enough you know your call might be so your call would be losing a bit but it still will be it, it won't be as much or sorry your shove will be losing but it won't be as much as a bad call um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so raising is probably the, the lowest mistake um and the biggest mistake by far is calling calling mistakes can be absolutely massive um and that's why you really have to sort of focus on calling ranges when you're studying uh ICM folding, as you said, it's, it's essentially an opportunity cost because you know the the EV of folding is always zero. Your stack doesn't change. Um, you still have the same equity. So, like if you're if you're unsure, if you think it's on the line, it's generally better to err on the side of folding because if it turns out, you know, fo- let's say as Jack is the line and. Uh, calling ace 10 is a mistake calling ace 10 will generally be, be a bigger mistake than folding ace jack so if you're if you're unsure as to where the line is you know if in doubt fold which um you know <laughs> the, from, from the man who said it fold everything that's that's that, that probably won't come as a surprise to people the other thing i would say and maybe this is something people don't think about enough is that it very much depends on the type of tournament and the quality of the field that you're in hmm. if i'm in a very very soft tournament um, where people are making very, very big mistakes. I don't mind making a fold that I know is probably slightly bad because people will, will you know, after I fold, I'm still in the tournament. I'm still around to take advantage of, of the big mistakes that they make later on. Um, so I will actually make some quite tight folds in those spots uh, just to sort of lower variance and mm-hmm. not, not not give up very much EV. If on the other hand, you know, you find yourself at, at a table of absolute crushers and it's the final table, so it's not going to get any better, now you kind of have to just take those spots. If you think if if you think it's incorrect to fold, just don't do it. Um but as I said, like the line is the line is more forgiving in that sense. Like calling with the worst hand you're with the best hand you're supposed to fold is usually a much bigger mistake than folding the worst hand you're supposed to call. So uh, yeah, so so folding comes falls somewhere between um, raising, which is the least mistake, and calling, which is the biggest mistake. Cool, thank you. That's great. Um, so my last question is, uh, you know, the biggest mistakes, the most expensive mistakes, happen at the final table. Um, that's you know, you start getting shorthanded. You're seeing the blinds more often. People have to expand their ranges. It gets harder to range players post flop because everyone's getting in there wider. It's also a very difficult thing to practice um unless you're unless you're just continuously going deep in actual tournaments it's kind of a hard thing to simulate uh to take it seriously as though there were icm implications so we do in our home game you know we we play it down to the final table every night um we do some other ways of like looking at those spots we do a monthly review i know you're involved with our monthly seminar dara doing uh um that chris jones runs and this one was a final table like i say if if you can't manufacture ways to actually practice shorthanded play, um, I think really just knowing the theory has to be your best defense or your best weapon, really, uh, in these in these circumstances. So, you have published a new book, and uh, I think are we breaking news today that it's actually available? Uh, so, Dara. I love this guy coming on the Rec Poker podcast to announce the uh, the new book coming out. It's called Endgame Poker Strategy, the ICM book. And uh, I'll put the link to the uh, Amazon uh, offering in the show notes here. Um, 
did you did Barry Carter uh, release those naked photos of you, or are you still working with him? Um, he still he still got the leverage. Uh, he still, still... still got that hanging over me and hanging <laughs> over the poker world in general. I mean, nobody wants to see that. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, despite despite all his many flaws, uh, Barry is here. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I've learned in this pandemic is Barry is a man who definitely needs a deadline. Um, oh. <laughs> he, has, he has dragged his heels horribly on this book. Uh, he's kept promising me, oh yeah, we'll get it out next month, we'll get it out next month. And it's dragged way past the point where it was decent. So we have a tournament coming up in Ireland soon, sponsored by Unibet, which will actually be the first tournament in Ireland in 18 months. And I said to him, it has to be out for this. We're, we're, we are going to do a book signing at this. You have to get it out. Right. Not only has he got it out in time for the tournament, which is still three weeks away, he's, ma- he's managed to somehow get it three weeks ahead of time. And last week I told him, you need to get it out before I go on Rec Poker because I want to announce it there. Yes. Um, exclusively for those guys. And and again, he he broke that deadline. It went up last night. So yeah, nice. it's available on Amazon now. Um, you, you guys will be able to get it. Um, one thing I would say on the, you raised some very interesting points there about that you can't really practice shorthanded and, uh, and, and, and I see him being so extreme on final tables. And that's something which comes up a lot. And it's an area where pros feel they sort of have, have a huge edge that if they mm. get down to the last five or six and then the last four and then the last three and they're playing against a recreation who's not used to playing three handed, et cetera, that they'll have a big edge. I have a couple of very quick tips there, so I'm going to, I, I, yes. I'm going to give them away first. F- first tip is people think that some people, well, at least some people think um, that the the further you get into the final table, the more extreme the ICM is. It's actually the other way around. Um, ICM is at its biggest right at the start of the final table, and then after every elimination, it gets a little bit less. And by the time you get to heads up, there's no ICM anymore. You're two guys playing for the difference between two guys and girls playing for the difference between first and second. Um, so that's the first thing to sort of realize. Focus your ICM decisions. And actually, ICM is the, the points The points in the tournament when ICM are the biggest are obviously the bubble and the final table bubble. Um, so that's where you sort of have to be zoned in on the ICM um, and, and, and understand your ranges. The second thing I would say is on playing shorthanded. Short-hand, playing shorthanded feels very, very different from playing full ring. But in actual fact, there shouldn't really be any difference between raising on the button when you're three-handed to it's nine-handed and it's folded to you on the button. Your range should be pretty much the same. In fact, your range generally should be slightly tighter in the three-handed situation because there are less antis out there. At a nine-handed table, if everybody's folded to you and you're on the button and you raise, you have the chance to win the small blind, the big blind, and nine antis. Three-handed, you only have the chance to win small blind, the big blind, and three antis. So your range actually should get a little bit tighter. Similarly, your defense ranges should be different. Now, it feels very different because you know all those early seats where you're mostly folding are, are, are taken out of the equation and you're kind of, you kind of feel like you're involved every hand. And I think people often over-adjust in those situations and they and they they'd start thinking they have to really expand their ranges. Just focus on what your normal button range is. When you're four-handed, there are four ranges to consider, cut off, button, small blind, and big blind. And, and just stick to those and you'll be fine. Um, that's that, uh, that's that's probably the single biggest tip I would say to playing shorthanded. Just like don't over-adjust. Over-adjusting is really bad. And a lot of the mistakes that that I see people make, it's, it's because they're over-adjusting. You know, it comes, they're on the button and they raise like, 
nine five off and you go like, why did you raise nine five off and the, and, and, and the answer is well like it's short-handed I, I have to play more hands you only have to play more hands because you don't have those early seats that you're not folding you're you don't have to play more hands from every individual seat in fact you should be playing slightly less hands um so just think about your normal ranges and uh and, and yeah work from there that's a great point because I think people do hear shorthanded and even myself, I feel like, oh, okay, I have to play more hands here. But the fact is you're just playing hands more frequently because yep. the blinds are coming by more often and you're on the button more often. So you, you said it perfectly. You just don't have those early position spots to just fold. And so because you keep getting dealt the same random cards, um, you're going to be playing a higher percentage of the hands that you're dealt. But that doesn't mean that you actually have to open your ranges in the spots. That's a great distinction. Good, good thinking, Dara. I like that a lot. Um, okay, well, I don't see any other questions in the chat here. I'll just say again, Endgame Poker Strategy, the ICM book. Uh, so that's going to be available on Amazon by the time you hear this podcast. And um, and if you want to learn more about Dara, you can go to his Wrecking Crew page at rec.poker slash doke and uh, see some fun information about him there. Click on some links, see his other books and um and uh, see what he loves about rec poker um dari you're you're a great friend of the show and i'm looking forward to getting your analysis on our members play in the in the next monthly seminar so i'll be sending that off to you too um anything you'd like to leave us with before we send you off into the world yeah no i'm 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 very much looking forward to, to that hand i did one for you guys last month. yeah it's, it's it's always really interesting to me sort of like running those spots and then working out why the solution is the way that it is and, and trying to explain to that's sort of the approach we've taken with all the books we've written as well mm. so that all fits in very well i think you guys do amazing work it's you know recreational players are the are the lifeblood of the game um the reason why i love going to the world series apart from trying to win lots of money and win a bracelet it's not to play with other professionals. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet lots of great people when you're there. Um, it's a re- it, it it really feels like um, well, normally summer camp. It's more like autumn camp this year. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, and you guys, you guys do great work um, spreading spreading the word. So I'm always happy to help out. Well, thank you, man. I mean, we I think one thing we have in common is that we love poker. We love good, you know, fun poker players. Something that um, we have in common with a lot of the poker community. I mean, there's there's some bad apples out there. And, you know, they, they're, they're usually the loudest. And so I think we get poker community kind of gets uh, um, so soiled a little bit by having all these people in it that are so uh, loud and obnoxious. <laughs> but honestly, it's a very generous community. It's a very friendly community. It's a very supportive community. And um, if you if you don't, if you're listening and you don't think that that's true, maybe you're just not hanging out with the right people. So um, go to rec.poker, get a free account learn more about Dara and the great stuff he's doing with uh, people like Barry and David. And, uh, and you know, your, your journey is just beginning. So don't be afraid to make mistakes and share your mistakes with the group. And, you know, that's how, that's how we all get better. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, Dara. Well, uh, I, I know I'll think of a couple other questions as soon as you hang up, but that's just the way we'll have to have you back on sometime again soon. Awesome. Yeah. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. Cheers. Well, you can uh, hang up here. I'll take care of uh, a couple of uh, little things in member land before we uh, end the show. Uh, but thank you again, my friend. Looking forward. I hope you do get down there. Maybe we can catch up in Vegas. Yeah, no, I really, I, I really hope so too. Even, even if it's just for the very last event. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. You take care, my man. Thanks, guys. And thanks, everyone in the chat. Cheers. All right, so Eric, Jim, and Paul um, in the chat here. If uh, there's anything else that you'd like to mention before we get into the uh, the ad and uh, start running things out, I guess I'll just um, 
I don't see any comments. I'll just run the commercial right here, and then we can pick it up on the other side and talk about some community events at RecPoker. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. All right. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for your support, as always. So uh, here we are. It's the end of the show. Um, we're going to... Uh, so a couple notes. We're actually going to be taking a bit of a hiatus um, on the chats podcast because we're going to be down in Vegas. It's going to be difficult to coordinate um, getting together with guests. So you're going to hear one next week with AJ Rudolph from uh, Poker Power. And then we'll probably take a few weeks off for Vegas We'll continue doing the forums edition of the podcast because we recorded a few of those in advance because the strategy stuff isn't quite as, as time sensitive as some of the um, events that we usually talk about. So if you miss a few or if you notice a few episodes of the chats uh, are missing as you go through your October, that's why. But we will be back um, on October 9th, which you should have a chance to join us for this if you're a premium member. Keith Brandt, uh, Monkey System, is going to be hosting his brand new type of study group. Uh, which works with advanced poker training. Uh, so he's going to be using their software to help premium members at Rec.Poker find ways to improve their game. And the last note, um, on October 10th, this will be the last podcast that goes out before the 10th, I think. Um, it's Colin Anderson's birthday. Colin Anderson is a great friend uh, at Rec Poker. He's uh, the host of the Reckies. He's a wonderful, generous soul. He's won the Sunday night tournament a few times, which means he's got a few months of free training at Learn Pro Poker. So he's such a, a good guy. He said, guys, give these months that I've won to other members at Rec Poker that deserve it. So we said, okay, birthday boy, uh, Colin's going to be playing in the LPP tournament on Sunday night on October 10th on his birthday. And if you take him out, you're going to win a bounty of one month at Learn Pro Poker. So spoil the birthday boy's fun, knock him out of the tournament, maybe buy him a beer next time if you see him, and then email me, jim at rec.poker, and uh, we'll make sure you get that free month. So without further ado, I think that's all we have here. It's always a pleasure uh, hosting the show. I want to thank Eric, Jim, and Paul, and Kim, who couldn't quite join us. Of course, Darrow Carney, and Website Amp, and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Thanks for that, Colbert.